Welcome to the JVB Health and Wellness Podcast. On today's podcast, we talk about determination and accomplishments. And we have Emilio on to talk about his unbelievable successes in ultramarathon races. And you may not be an ultramarathoner, you might not even be a runner, but listening to him talk about some of the races that he has done and the ups and downs he has gone through is absolutely inspiring. And I encourage you to listen. He talks about the Barclays Marathon, which has been chronicled in a number of places. There's a Netflix movie about it. There's a separate movie about it. And he also talks about some of his other experiences. We also uh, talk about uh, related training, ups and downs, highs and lows. And I think you'll really enjoy it. We also talk to Alex who is somebody who trained for a half Ironman triathlon and the ups and downs he went through and uh, successes and failures. Enjoy. Listening to Emilio talk about the things he went through during his races as well as during his training is inspiring. And if he can do it, each one of us can certainly do some consistent exercise or make some other changes to our routines and work-life balance so that we can incorporate something into our health and wellness most days. Hey, Jim, I have a related question. So I'm, and, you know, I'm trying to get back in heart rate efficiency training, but also I don't want to completely give up doing the you know, occasional or maybe not so occasional hill training where it can get really hard to, to completely um, you know, stay under your heart rate. What do you think about, is it, uh, I know it varies person to person, but what do you think about if I'm training four times a week and by training me running four times a week, if three of those are, you know, completely under, you know, do, doing it correctly. And one of those is a hill training where I'm going up over, is that defeated? Is that not going to work, especially at the beginning? Um, should I be more patient and just stick with, you know, have all four training sessions be completely at met? Or do you think there is a, you know, a way forward where I can incorporate a day of pure health training where I'm not as concerned about keeping my heart rate really low? Great question. I have a couple questions before I can answer the question. Yep. So you said you're running four days a week. What are you doing the other three? Try, trying to do met under, keep, keeping my heart rate under 130 beats. So you're working out seven days a week? No, I'm doing, no, I'm, I'm doing. You're doing four days. Four right? days, yeah. And what are you doing the other three days? Are those days off? Yes, they're right, exactly. Okay, so I think the way that uh, Phil Maffetone, who kind of created the metabolic efficiency training, yep. looks at it is, you know, uh, you need five or six hours a week in the easy zone to really get the benefit, the true benefit that you want, right. that I want, that Alex wants to get the benefit, right? So if you're running, I suspect you're doing 90 minutes on those three days. Right, so that, that's about right. So I'm, I'm not quite, I wouldn't quite get it that way. I'm getting five to six hours, but you know, one of those, divided into four, one of those workouts is not in the, in the Phil Maffetone approved zone. Right. So a um, couple, if I were your coach, I would say, I want you at six hours a week, right? Yeah. Easy, right? And Maffetone would often say that, um, and a lot of people that, that advocate now that are not just Phil Maffetone, the kind of metabolic efficiency training would say that every minute that you are above the zone when you're trying to build the base 
is a negative towards building that base. So this is why most people say it is so boring because they have to stay in that zone the whole time, right? Now, I don't believe that that's always true. And I have seen, if people don't get faster at the same heart rate over time, there is a reason. And so sometimes I, I say, okay, we need to shake your system up and do something really, really hard and then get back right back into the easy training. So from what I'm hearing from you, you know, you're doing probably four hours easy and then you want to go out and do hill training and, you know, you want to, um, you're probably going to do, if we looked at your workout overall, you're going to do 30 minutes of intervals where you're really anaerobic and the rest of it is going to be recovery. So that, that means that you're really doing four and a half. If that's a 60 minute workout, you're doing kind of four and a half hours easy. And then I'm taking 30 minutes away for that hard. So that means that tells me you're in the four range, right? Yeah. And if you really, if I were your coach, I would say I would much rather have you do more days than four. Sometimes it's harder to take three days off too with metabolic efficiency training. It's about the consistency. Now yeah. I would get you on the elliptical if you had one, not the bike probably, but just, you know, I would have you do something that's really, 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 really easy to get that six hours a week in the zone. Right. And even if you had six to seven hours a week in the zone, and then you did that 30 minutes, that might set you back or it might not. And the only way you'll really know is if you go out and run the same course in the same weather conditions, you yeah. know, at, at the same time of day and see if your heart rate, is, if you're getting faster at the same heart rate. Right. So my, my gut is it's not enough. And what's the name of the, the, the marathon, the, the Barkley marathons, right? Yeah. So I, so I want to, I want to, I want you to talk about what those are in a second here, but I'll tell you, I've often thought about you doing the Barclays marathon, which just getting to that race is an amazing achievement. And I've often thought about what we've talked about for others and what you've told me about it and what I've studied about it and the environment you're in there. I, I personally think metabolic efficiency training is the most critical for that race, even though it sounds crazy, because when you're walking up those hills, you want your heart rate to be as walking, which we know how steep they are to be as low as possible so you can try and stay aerobic. When you have these world-class marathon runners, when they go out and they they rip these intervals, right, to try and drop the, the best in the world, men or women, and when they try and drop their competition, those people can go out and do, do a surge and they can rip it and they can be down in the fours easily, really running fast because they have the ability to super fast recover, right? Because they are metabolically efficient. The guy that just broke, broke the two hour uh, marathon last year, did you, did you see him? He was nose breathing, like right. while running 435 pace for 26 miles because he was so metabolically efficient and gifted, right? So in my opinion, like getting you in that six to 10 hour a week, and if you don't want to be 10 because you're not training that much, then six, you know, and the consistency would benefit you more. Sure. No, I think, I think you're right. And I, I think, you know, that's where I'll, I'll get to. I'll get to that 10 hours without a problem. But just at the beginning when I'm kind of building up is, uh, is I think the biggest challenge. But yeah, I think you're, you're right. And the Barclays thing is really interesting because I've thought about that a lot. I go back and forth because on one hand, Yes, if you went up into that completely metabolically trained, um, that would be great. The problem is, if you do that metabolic training, you're never reaching the threshold that you really have to run the entire Barclays at. Meaning that um, you can't run that race um, with a low heart rate just because there's not enough time. I mean, they're pretty, there's some pretty harsh cutoffs and there's a lot of navig- kind of navigating um, around, uh, you know, around it. So the problem is unlike almost any other ultra marathon that I've done where cutoffs tend to be pretty generous, 
um, they, they aren't generous at all. And, and there's such a small margin for error. And even, you know, the beginning um, to keep up with the group and just the first ascent, and it's actually on a trail, and most of Barclays is not on a trail. Um, it's just it, in the woods. It's just in the woods. It's, it's straight up. And to keep with that group, I mean, my heart rate was as high as when I was running a, you know, 5K at, you know, six minute or less, you know, miles. And, uh, right. And some of that's anxiety because you're looking, if I recall, you're looking for a page out of a book. And, and by the way, when I talk about metabolic efficiency training, I'm yeah. not saying that you should be metabolic. You should keep your heart rate down during that race. It's going to be where it's going to be. It's, <laughs> the hay is in the barn, right? Where you want to be able to have your body be as efficient as possible so that when you're running up that hill, maybe instead of it being 165, it's 150. You know what I mean? I get and it. you recover faster. That's the purpose. I get it. I mean, I really felt, and I was in decent shape, but I felt like I was redlining the entire time. I think you were on a CNN, if I recall, and I want you to talk about what the race is in a second here, but I think you were on CNN, right? Where you look like a zombie. You yeah. like, so yeah. talk, talk, like, because you were completely out of it at that point, but talk about the race, what it is. And there's a movie on Netflix about it. Yeah, there are a couple of really great films. I mean, it's a pretty unusual race. Um, there's a guy named Gary Cantrell, who's a, a really interesting character who lives in Tennessee. And I had done one of his races called the Ball State, uh, which is a 500K uh, non-stage race. So it's 500K across a good chunk of uh, Tennessee. That's five days, 500K? I can't um, it's, remember. You no, know, it's 500K. Do it as fast as you can. I mean, there's okay. no, it, it, again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, straight you just start and you finish your 500k it's up to you that's if, 300 miles what's that that's 300 miles right 314 miles yeah and how long did it take you to do that one i did it under five uh days um which was pretty interesting that, so that that's was 60 miles a day you did what's that 60 miles a day um yeah so yeah i did a i did a, a, over yeah i did 100k a day exactly do you remember what you did every day if you said this how many K I did each day or was it 100K every day? Um, no, it was definitely staggered depending on, because each day is a little bit different and also the heat acclimation. I mean, that's one where, you know, you talk about, <laughs> you were talking about the dew point. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely insane because it's in July in Tennessee. So it's uh, very hot, very, very humid. Um, and that's a, that's a big challenge of that race. It's all road. Um, Hills. Um, not, not much, but yeah, some hills. Yeah. But not, not, not that much. That's not a defining feature of the, of the race, but I'm, I'm also getting off track with it. You wanted me to talk about Barclays. In any event, that's how I got to know who Gary Cantrell was. And that's what helped me get into Barclays. Cause I actually performed pretty well relative to the, the rest of the race that year. You were fourth overall in that race, if I recall. I was fourth overall. And you were trending third and you got taken down. I can't remember by professional, I think. Right. Or something. No, I, I, I could have, I mean, I, I flirted with third place sometimes, but I, I got solidly beaten. Um, so uh, it was somebody who had done the race a few times before, but that, that didn't matter. Um, and, and an important thing to note is the person that, you know, the people who came up, you know, the guy who came in first, so I did it in under five days, but the guy who came in first did it in like three days and 12 hours. Wow. So a really, a really amazing effort. And interestingly, that guy who won and then went on to later set the course record at Ball State, um, what got into Barclays with me? We were the last two people in. We were on the wait list 
and got in a week before. And so he, he ran about a hundred miles a day then. He did three, three, hours, yes. three days. Wow. Yes. But he, in, in, you know, in, in back to back days, he and I did about the same at Barclays, you know, um, we were both only able to, to complete a loop and out of the five and, um, What's a loop? Talk about the race a little bit. Yeah, sorry. So the race is supposed to be five 20-mile loops. Um, I don't know if anyone believes that. I mean, I think most people think it's about 26 miles, and it's an outrageous amount of, uh, amount of elevation. Um, you know, I, I can't, you know, again, I've done a lot of 100-mile races at this point. I mean, not that many, but say I've done 12 or 13 or something like that. But wow. Is, I remember when you had done none. It's amazing. Right? Right. Is, yeah, you're the one who tricked me into doing my first 50 mile um, and, then, and then bailed on the race. Uh, I was so, hurt. So I credit you. No, no, I credit you for getting me in, into that. Um, but so Barclays is, yeah, at five miles, uh, I mean, sorry, five loops, 20 to 26 miles a loop with an outrageous amount of elevation. Um, it's not really, it's not a marked course. Um, it's, it, it takes place um in a in a state park um in tennessee in the woods in the woods um and it really to me is just it was almost just like a uh you know all about ascending and descending um oftentimes through i mean i you know one of the first uh kind of <laughs> cliffs hills whatever you want to call it you go down is such a steep decline that you just find yourself trying to grab on to roots or roots or shrubs to try to arrest your fall on the way down. Um, you know, a few people broke uh, ankles. Uh, one guy, uh, a really established runner, broke his collarbone. Um, after he, I, I come across him on the first loop looking really distraught. And this guy is like, I mean, he, he won the spine race in the UK, which is one of the most insane races you can do. And I came across him on Barclays about 10 hours in looking extremely distraught and he had lost his compass um which is then you're you're pretty much done if you lose your compass you're not allowed to wear a watch uh, with a gps or anything and i had two compasses and i gave yoan the uh, one of my compasses and he was very grateful for that but yeah on the, on the next loop he broke his cop he fell and broke his collarbone which uh didn't deter him he, he kept running and i think was able to finish two loops um but it is just an absolutely uh, brutal race. You, you pack in um, all your own stuff. There's some water available um, along the way, but it's not guaranteed. Um, so you really want to carry in as much water and, and snacks as you can, you can pack in. And you really get like a very ridiculous, really ludicrous uh, write-up from um, Gary, uh, who calls himself Lazarus Lake. So Laz, um, gives you uh, a, like a write-up before you start and kind of a, um, you're able to copy on your topo map uh, the, the route, which is not announced until the day before. And you do your best to follow his instructions, which say something like, you know, scramble up this encampment, you know, descend uh, 200 feet um, bearings, you know, southwest, um, at the rock that looks like a cross, um, <laughs> scramble down another 50 feet and look for a book where you're supposed to tear out a page of the number that you're assigned um, and keep that page. 
um, safe to turn in um, at the end of the loop. So I found it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to follow those directions. And your best bet is to try to run with people who know the course, who've run the course before. And even then it's very hard because it's very hard to keep up with those people. Um, anyway, so it's just an insane race. It's very, um, it's a big challenge to get into um, just in the sense that you have, there's a, a secret method of applying and you have to um, get then, uh, your application has to be accepted. There are a ton of people, I'd say probably over a thousand that apply and space for 30 to 40 runners uh, to, to get in every year. Right, because this has become a cult race, and particularly after the, the Netflix movie. What's it called? The Barclays Marathon? Yeah, so there's one, and there's, a, there's another one. that There's a, there's a, a great runner named, um, oh, what's his name? The Canadian runner. Uh, do, you, do you remember his name? I don't. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, but I can't Gary, remember. I'm not thinking of his name right now, but incredibly talented mountain runner who's now attempted it three times and been thwarted three times. And he what does thwarted mean? He did one loop versus the five? <laughs> Sorry, was I, think I, I think I may have, yeah, I think I may have seen one of those YouTube documentaries, um, and I didn't realize that while I was watching it that, that this is the race that you were talking about until you actually described it. But is there a guy with red hair and a big red beard that that's was featured on one of those documentaries? Yes, that's him. That's what, that's what I'm talking okay. about. Okay. I've, I've, I've seen that one. I, I, before I went to bed um, a few weeks ago, it's funny enough that you're talking about this. I watched that whole thing and was just in awe of that race. I couldn't believe that anybody could finish that race. So I'm incredibly impressed that you, yeah. <laughs> that you well, finished it. That's incredible. Well, I, I did, oh, no. to, be, to be clear, um, I did one of the five loops and I did it just over the time limit for that loop. So I, was, I wasn't able to go into loop two. Would you have um, gone on though? You look pretty out of it in that CNN. Thing. I would have gone on, and it's funny because in the CNN thing, um, I, you know, as uh, humiliating as that clip was, I was relieved that they didn't, because I saw some different camera people out there in the woods, and I ended up being relieved that it wasn't an even more ignominious clip <laughs> of me, uh, which I remember kind of scrambling off this muddy slope with like a wire wrapped around my leg, um, you know, and just feeling like, and a camera being there. And I was like, don't let that be, you know, please don't put that in the CNN. And it wasn't, so I was much, I was happy. I was pleased to be uh, portrayed stumbling around like a drunken person in the, in the woods trying to find my way. Um, and yeah, you could still find that clip. I'll send it to you, Jim, it's funny. Uh, so, but, so if I recall though, that race is, Laz will start it whenever he feels like, sometime between midnight and 8 a.m. It was, wasn't it pouring rain and completely muddy also? That's another great detail. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I mean, um, it was, the year I did it was a really brutal year. I mean, no one finished, but no one even came close to finish. Gary, that, the one guy. Um, Gary almost, Robbins, is that his name? Yes. That's yeah, him. he's an elite, elite finished, ultra runner. He finished three loops that year. That's and called then a fun run, is that right? And a few people finished too, and that was it. And some really like Amelia Boone, if you're familiar with her, um, did only you know only got two loops. I mean, nobody was coming close to finishing. The weather was just horrific. I mean, there are a couple people. Um, you know, some of the some the, I I was just so excited to be running with some of the people that were running. 
but one of the best and most consistent ultra runners and marathoners, you know, that I know of, um, didn't finish the, the first loop. I mean, he, you know, I, I was so excited to be running with this guy and he, he did not finish the first loop. And I saw him later and I was like, what happened? And everybody would have been going hypothermic. I mean, it's just, it was absolutely, it's so challenging to keep yourself going and dry and, uh, uh, you know, and, and from being hypothermic. So, um, so, you, yeah. so you, did you, you actually had, I can't, I, I can't remember this exactly, but did you have hypothermia? Did you have to get in a blanket? Remind me again. I know, you know you've I had it a couple of times in races, if I recall, right? Yeah, I didn't. I actually did not, um, uh, that time, but other people did. Uh, and you know, uh, which is a real thing. Anybody listening to this thinks that hypothermia is not real when you're doing an ultra marathon. It is. And some people, you can die from that if you don't take care of yourself. No, it's a, it's a really big deal. But Didn't just, you have that? You had that in England when you did a fell race, if I recall, in right? Wales, in Wales. Yeah, yeah. But, but Jim, just really quick, because I, I think this part is really interesting. I wanted to go back to the uh, start time. So, yeah. So, the race can start any time between midnight um, and noon. And what happens is at whenever last decides he blows a conch shell and from the time he blows the conch you have one hour to assemble um and as you can imagine it's impossible to sleep so i went to bed you know tried to go to sleep but we didn't start the race until nine or ten in the morning something like that after getting very little sleep but that is an added dimension as if it wasn't already challenging enough um, that's another layer to it how long into the race were your quads completely shot? And how were, like, was it the first, that first big downhill where people were breaking their ankles or? Yeah, for, uh, yes. I mean, it's treacherous right away, but I honestly, that was not the problem. I don't think I even noticed uh, my quads. That's because I, you would get on a treadmill, if I recall, and walk at a very, very high incline, correct? Yeah. To beat your quads up to train? Yeah, yeah, but, but I did that, but, but I tried not to do that because um, you really, the big problem is, is the downhill. Um, that's what gets people in this race. But I, I, I was, everything was hurting so much. I did make one huge mistake, um, huge mistake, and I would never make that mistake again. Um, I did not use, it's probably 50-50, but I, I decided not to use poles. Um, and that was really stupid. Everyone um, else use them? A lot of other people did, yeah. Not everyone, but a lot of other people, and I really regret. I would never do that race again without using poles. And you use poles because you can lessen some of the resistance downhill, or uphill, um, or both. Both, both. Yeah. I mean, it's just—it's a real help. I, you know, in Wales, I used them, and they were a, a huge help. And it was just—it was stupid not to use them at Barclays. It's just—you know—it's an added thing because a lot of times you can't use your poles. You have to be using your hands to actually scramble. So you got to tuck them in or hold them. But that's a small price to pay for the help that they give you, especially, yeah. So the hills are so, so steep that you're on all fours climbing up some of these hills? Oh, oh absolutely, absolutely. And again, literally falling down some of the hills. And when it got muddy, I mean, you know, some of the most dispiriting and difficult psychologically and mental uh, challenges I've ever encountered is when you're trying to claw your way up a muddy, steep slope and expending energy and not, you know, and barely moving, if at all. And that's a really hard thing to overcome when you're already feeling, you know, uh, that, you're, that you're in danger of not hitting a cutoff and, 
it, it's that's very trying. At any point, did you doubt yourself during that? Um, I, it was. It's funny because I've doubted myself in races before, but it was. It was more like just trying to, you know, survive. I mean, I was just like, you know, you're really just trying to think about how do I make sure I'm eating? How do I make sure I don't get too cold and wet? How do I make sure I don't get completely lost? I mean, I, I definitely got lost twice that day. Um, if I hadn't gotten lost, I would have made the first loop probably you know, an hour or two under cutoff and would have continued on second loop and probably not completed that second loop. How would long did it to, take you, the first loop? I would have, I would have had to self-extract, which that's a big part of this race too, is that you have to keep in mind that once you can't go on any further, oftentimes it could take you, uh, you know, the year before I did it, there were a group of three people who got lost and were, on the first loop and didn't return for another, I think, I don't know if it was 30 hours or 48 hours. Um, so you've got to be prepared to have food for that because if you're lost, no one's coming to get you for a while. And you have to be- yeah. Wow. How long did it take you, the first loop? Um, the cutoff I think was to go on was 13 hours and I was somewhere, I think I was around 14 hours, something like that. I have to look, but um, it was enough that basically I made a decision at the end. Um, I was running at the end with a veteran who helped me. I was running faster than him, but I held back my pace because if it wasn't for him, there's no way I would have found the last two books. So I would have either gotten lost. And by the time we got the last book, there was no way I was going to sprint and leave him uh, behind after he'd helped me navigate to where I'd gotten to. So if um, I recall, three, three loops is called a fun run and five loops finishes the race. And how many people have actually finished this race? Like 15 people, 17 people? So yeah, in the last 30 years, I think 14 people, maybe or 15 people have finished it. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And I'm in awe of those people. Yeah. Well, we're all in awe of you also. Your accomplishments are amazing. No, thank you, but it, thank you. I mean, but it is, it, the best part about it was running again, I don't know if anyone knows who Mike Wardian is, but he's one of my heroes. Oh, Wardian was in the race that year. I forgot that. He's I gifted. I got, got to, you know, run a little bit with him. And again, he he's tried twice now to finish a loop and hasn't. And to me, he's the most talented uh, runner out there, which should tell you something about what Barclays is. It isn't necessarily a running race. Well, Mike Wardian, he's run 100 mile. Isn't he? He's done a 100 miler in like six minute mile right six minute pace or something i think right yeah, he can do i mean the guy can do anything i mean he's done back-to-back -back marathons on the seven continents in seven days he's done i mean the guy seems to be able to do absolutely anything except barclays uh which is pretty fascinating well it's not just about your fitness it's also about your ability to navigate it's also about your ability to persevere through those tough conditions it's about being able to go through the woods just because you're fast and can run five minute miles doesn't mean you want to go up and down on all fours up those hills. Yeah, or, or that you won't go hypothermic. <laughs> totally. Totally. So there's a movie called The Barclays Marathon on Netflix and the other one. Oh, I got to find the other one for you and I'll send it to you, Jim, because you got to put it out there. It's, it's really, really good and it focuses just on Gary Robbins. And I think it's better than the other documentary. It's really, it gives you a better feel for the race. Um, I think it gives you a, a better feel of how difficult it is and what the challenges are. I think the other documentary is excellent, but it's, it's very broad. 
because of the the one that focuses on Gary is so specific. Um, I, 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 it's an amazing movie. It's really well done. Uh, the director is very talented and does a really great job. Great. Anybody have any questions for Emilio about that race? An amazing accomplishment. Well, thanks for talking about it. Oh, yeah, so, sure, sure. so um, I see a few other people joined. Jeff, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Emilio, very impressive. I'm sitting here walking in the woods, and I'm like, wow, I can barely get over the little trail I'm on. <laughs> so, congrats. I would break my I break my ankle on the first five steps probably. Yeah, Jim, you you were not allowed to do that race for sure. I mean, even when I did 32 miles on the Western States course, which I know Robbins is great on, that was hard for me. I remember I stood, I, I, it was the first time I'd really ever run a trail before, and I was about 18 miles in, and I said to myself, I don't know how I'm going to finish these 14 miles. I can't feel my, my legs hurt so bad. And then there was this, like, little stream that, like, literally was, like, five feet across, but I was going to have to get my feet wet. And I'm thinking, I didn't bring any other shoes or any socks. Like, I'm not prepared for this. And all these people came by, and, they, and I was ahead of a bunch of people, and they looked at me like, come on, rookie. Come on, rookie. That's what all these people said to me. You know, I was like, but I don't want to get my feet wet. You know? <laughs> how did you go from you mentioned Hey Jeff, you're breaking up just going so back to when Jeff, can you start over? You're just breaking up a little bit there. Jim course you in doing the fifty. Where we what kind of runner were you? Yeah. I think I got that and yeah, so you repeat, repeat you the mentioned question. that. You triggered him to do the 50. So my question was, before you did that 50 million. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So basically, I, I wasn't. The question uh, was, I, that I, Emilio didn't do 50. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. So I, I, I mean, I've kind of been an athlete my whole life, but I wasn't very into running until maybe, I don't know, Jim, seven or eight years ago or whenever that was. And, uh, started getting into running and started running. You know, I ran um, a marathon and thought that was fine. And then um, Jim and I actually ran a, was it 60K in Central Park? Yeah, 60K. Uh, forgot, I forgot really, about that. Which was really fun. I had a, I had a great time. And that's 37, that's 37 miles. Because I hadn't really, I hadn't run anything. I, I, right before that I did a 50K. And that was, a, but on a trail and that was really interesting. And then I did the 60K and um, there were three of us. I mean, I knew two other people and Jim was one of them on the race. And at one point, um, I don't know, it was probably like, I think it was like 20 miles or maybe it was 30 miles in. Um, I saw the other guy and he was really hurting. And I said, have you seen Jim? And he said, he's not far in front of you. And I was like, really? And so I went running for Jim and then caught up with him, and then Jim and I finished the race together, which was really cool. Um, and then That's right. We were stride for stride, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Jim said to me, hey, let's do a 50-mile. Do you want to do a 50-mile? Let's go out to, to San Diego – or no, not San Diego, Sacramento, and do a 50-mile. And I said, that sounds great. And I signed up, and Jim signed up, and then Jim got hurt. Um, and so I just went out and did it, and I loved it. It was a beautiful – really fun race. The first half was kind of road and the second half was trail. Um, and you got into some real hills and scenery. And I think that just hooked me. I mean, at that point, I didn't want to do another 50 mile. I wanted to do a uh, hundred K or a hundred miler. 
And so not very long after that, I did my first 100 mile run. Um, and, and then since then I've tried to do at least 100 mile, uh, 200 mile runs a year or races a year. Mm. Um, but I think I just, I, part of it's the scenery. Part of it is I think it might be the perfect uh, race for me. I and mean, when I did the, the longer races, like the 500K, um, that really is difficult to train for. Uh, from a lifestyle <laughs> perspective, yeah. really, your body takes a huge beating. So Barclays or Wales or these races are really, really tough to incorporate into a quote-unquote normal life with a family. So I started to back off and figured out that, you know, if I could run 100 miles around 24 hours and do those races in somewhere beautiful, that was kind of my sweet spot. And that's where I'm kind of, that's where I've settled now. Why do you do it? Well, what, Other than you love it and the beauty of it, like what, what else do you get out of it personally? I know we're big on race reports and yeah, yeah. race reports are amazing things to write. Yeah, it's, it's a lot easier for me to get out in the morning and train. I mean, I, I don't really have a problem with that, but I, it's, it's easier for me to push myself knowing that I've got a race because I know what I have to do in order to do these 100 milers. Um, so that's part of the reason, just give me a goal and something to do. Um, and it also just feels great. I mean, I just feel, you, you know, you feel like you're doing something different and special. And it, it was something that, you know, seven years ago I thought was impossible and now I feel it's very possible and I feel like anybody could do it with the right you know amount of training and and discipline and uh I think that's why I do it it's funny because I I, I was never a distance runner I was I was on the track team in high school I ran hurdles I was a sprinter and uh, I used to think three miles was like so far you know but as you get older and you start to you know slow down and start to enjoy things I, I got into some distance stuff and some triathlons and things like that but I remember the first time I was training for my first marathon and I ran 20 miles and I said to myself nobody can ever take this away from me yeah. and people say why do you do it and my answer was because I can right and because I enjoy doing it right and so you are a gifted human being people cannot go out and run 300 miles in the amount of time you've done or run all these crazy, crazy, crazy hard hundred mile races with 10 to 20,000 feet of elevation gain. Like I really have a hard time when I did the comrades race in Africa, 56 miles. Yeah. You, you, you should do dude. You should yeah. do it Yeah. because you could probably really be strong in your age group, but I could, I, I mean, I didn't do the right training going into that race. My quads were so shot that every step for the last 16 miles was really, really tough. But you don't seem to have those problems when you do even healthier races than that. Like your your quads are fine. It, it's yeah. amazing to me. You are you have a gift. But Jim, it is the training. I think what happens is a lot of people, like you said, do the treadmill training ascending. You, you got to do the down. You know, it's it's all about training for the downhill for that. And your your quads do get shot. But the key is, as we all know, right, not to get hurt. And that's been the real. You know, that's the real challenge. Is how do you train for these things? Uh, and do you put in the mileage you need to without getting hurt. Um, and that's really the, the biggest kind of, that's what's forefront of my mind. Yeah. And that's why training easy and do metabolic efficiency training, like exactly. keeps you healthier because you, you build the base and you don't get hurt. When we run fast, we change our gait and we get hurt a lot more. I, I couldn't agree more. That's the number one reason that I think that Matt, I think if you want to run late into your life and you want to minimize injury, I'm a huge believer. And that's why I'm, I, I'm an absolute advocate of that. 
Can you just talk for one or two minutes about the race you did in England? What was it? It was a fell race and talk about the hypothermia you had and talk about that race a little bit. Yeah. That one I remember really wrecked you. That, I mean, that was when you said, okay, I can't do those kind of races anymore. If I recall. That's true. Yeah. So it's called the dragon's back and it's in Wales and you basically run this kind of spine of mountains and there's some pretty dodgy. I mean, the, on the first, on the very first day you go up and you run, across a, a ridge that you can Google called uh, Crib Gok. And I was amazed that there were ultra runners who had total fear of heights. I mean, I, I have a rock climbing background, uh, which was seemed to be the one advantage I had going into that race, because other than that, I would, I, no, you know, almost no business being there. Um, I was there with some really talented mountain runners and fell runners. And again, got into, had some orienteering problems. But what Jim was referring to is on the last day of the race, um, suddenly out of nowhere, a giant storm came up and just literally blew me down. I mean, the, the wind was so strong and I got, I, I, I had the right equipment to put on, but the rate, by the time I got it on, um, I was already soaked. So I had proper, you know, to, to run the race, you have to be able to have like the, you know, um, these very, uh, uh, cut off pants that don't even allow anything in. Um, you have to have those. And I did, but I didn't get them on in time. That's how fast the storm came on. And so I was at the top of a mountain ready to crawl into my bag. And I thought I would take one more, you know, attempt at just sprinting off the mountain in any direction I could, which I did. Um, but that's, it's scary stuff. I mean, you, you really, weren't you shivering uncontrollably when you had that? Yeah, you start, yeah, you start shivering and you can't, you know, you can't monitor or can't manage your body heat. Um, and I just sprinted as fast as I could. And I was in really bad shape. I'd hurt my back at that point. I'd hurt my, I was a mess. Um, but I just sprinted off the mountain as fast as I could and descended at about a thousand feet and out of the rainstorm. Um, and you stopped shivering or while you were shivering when you did that? Uh, no, I started to heat up. Right. That's um, why you did it. So you were prepared yeah. for potential hypothermia. Yeah. Um, and, but, but I was ready to crawl in my bag. I mean, they also give you a button you can push where a helicopter is going to come fly you out, which I really didn't want to do. But I also didn't want to get into serious medical trouble. So Didn't uh, you go down the mountain? Did I recall that you met some kid or something and you, he gave you a beer or something during the race? Yeah, so I ran down the mountain, the first people I saw, and again, I was probably looking like I did in the Barclays video where I was stumbling along. I met like four like uh, teenagers that were smoking pot and throwing a football around. Um, and and here comes Emilio down the hill, who is, if, if any of you think that you've been wrecked before, you haven't been wrecked like that, or you, we wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to move. Well, the funnier thing is it's not like our, it didn't look like a race. This was day five. There was nobody within 10 miles of me in either direction. <laughs> And I'm in a random mountain using a map to navigate off of. And these kids are like, what are you? There's this weird looking American stumbling down the mountain. And they were like, what is going on? And I said, hey, I'm in a race. Here's you know, your race number. And they said, do you want a beer? And I said, yeah, I love one. And they said, do you want some pot? And I said, no, that's okay. Um, and then I just drank the beer and I kept going down the mountain and continued the race. It was crazy. but. The sun came out, I hung up all my stuff to dry on a, uh, like a farm fence and sat there for an hour um, until everything dried out. And then I put it back on and then I continued the race. But 
yeah, that was just a crazy, that was one, that wasn't even the craziest thing that happened that race. But um, well, what was the craziest thing that happened? Well, there's one time when I was crossing a river and I fell and I slipped, I landed on my back and I felt like I was stunned. And I was, you know, and uh, there was like a piercing pain. And I was like, oh man, I really just screwed myself up. And I got up and I stumbled and then I was just went into a blanket of fog. And I was trying to navigate with my map. It, it was just ridiculous. So, you know, you, th those are the kind of things that happen in those races. Interestingly, after that year, they standardized the race. So that year, it was a five-day race where they gave you the map of the day at the start of the race, at that day. And the next day, you got the map for the next day, so you had no time to prep. Uh, now they standardized the course. Yeah, liability. They're probably like, somebody's going to die. Yeah, you know? I'm surprised nobody, nobody I'm surprised, has. I'm surprised nobody has either. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway. That's enough. I, I've, I've talked enough today. All right. Jeff, Justin. Hey, Justin, is that you? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing? That's me. Good. Hey, Jeff. You want to talk about Kenosha? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not. Yeah. Um, Justin, Justin and I are both from Kenosha. And okay. when all that stuff was going on, I had to call my mom and say, Mom, they're burning stuff down a couple blocks from where you are. You better be ready to leave your house in case your house gets burned down. Just crazy stuff you know, or where those people were killed was where my elementary school was. Crazy. That's crazy. Very close. Yeah. How are you, Justin? I like the stories. I'm good. I, I, I came in right halfway through the Barkley story. <laughs> and I, and I was trying to figure out what you were talking about, but I, I had read about that before. So I, after you said a couple, when you said the conch shell, I was like, okay, I know what he's talked about. And I'll but, podcast um, this out so people can hear what you talked about, if you don't mind, Emilio. It's an inspiration. Mind. It's an That's absolute fine. inspiration to me and That's many fine. others. I think, you should, I think you should start over from the beginning. Emilio, go right ahead. <laughs> Do it all over again. <laughs> no, the, um, I, but I, I pulled it up just to make sure I had it right. And they said, <laughs> I just noticed something that they said that there was, he picks somebody who he thinks isn't going to win or isn't going to finish, and he gives them bib number one, and they're known as the human sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, so I think he calls it like the sacrificial virgin or something along those lines, um, and he does. Every year it's somebody who is applied who he thinks can still self-extract and survive but has a very low chance of, of finishing because, you know, if you talk about liability – um, I think that is a bit, he wants to see in your application that you have some ability or done something um, that you're not going to actually die on, die on the course. But yes, that is a, that, that is a phenomenon. And, and amazingly, I was not that person. Okay. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's probably a badge of honor, but if you're the one that does just decently with bib number one, that, it's like he's allowing the rookie to, you know, the the guy from the stands to play in the major leagues or something like that. No, I think it's pretty cool. that's absolutely right. And if I remember, the rookie actually did really well for, I mean, that, the, the, the number one that year did really well. I think she oh, did much better cool. than anybody expected, which is really cool. 
and, and look, that, anybody that's going to be in that race is going to be absolutely gifted and and not more, you know, completely crazy gifted, you know. But it does speak to it's 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 people try to figure out what the recipe is for who's going to be good at that race, and it's attracted everything from you know great hill runners from Europe to the best ultra runners to I mean it's really interesting if you look who's done that race in the past. Um, and there's no good, you know, there's no good. I mean, I think he said the best predictor of finishing is uh, somebody having a PhD, which just seems really wild. Um, That's you know, right. It's the scientist guys that, that kind of map it out, right? They're gifted. Yeah. They're gifted with their running and with their health and everything, but mm. they also have more. Well, there's also, there's one thing that is really important, and that is an ability, uh, an, a, visual, a visual memory literally the ability to see a rock and remember it next time you come around from a different direction. That's right, they reverse the directions. Every loop reverses direction, right? Right, so the ability to be running at night and recognize a stump that you saw during the day or go the, I mean, you know, there are some people who really have that ability um, and that's very helpful as you can imagine, right? Amazing. Are you gonna do it again? What's the plan? I don't think I'll be able to get in again. It's gotten so competitive. I've applied every year. And, you know, one of the real uh, th things that bummed me out is I applied the year that, so the year that I was already doing Dragon's Back, I applied to Barclays and I got in and I had to decline because there's no way I could do those two races close to each other. And so after that, um, I got in on the wait list and I actually, so the, the year I did it, I found out that I got into the race Monday and the race was Friday. Um, I then uh, really quickly booked a plane ticket to Tennessee. I remember, I was gonna come with you and crew you yeah. actually. And there was a blizzard and they canceled my flight. So I rented a car and drove through a blizzard um, to Tennessee to even get to get, it was ridiculous. Crazy. Very fitting, but ridiculous. But yeah, so Greg, the guy who I was talking about, who had set the court, who set the course record at Ball State, um, he got in the day before because someone had gone up on the course to check it out and broken his ankle. He'd come in from Europe, oh my God. Greg out the course and broke his ankle. So Greg got in the day before, and I got in, you know, five days before. Um, I, you know, that that was a challenge too. Amazing. Well, you should keep applying. I know you've also been applying to Western States, which you had a couple of balls in this past year, didn't get in, right? I know yeah. I had some balls in a couple of years ago, more than a couple yeah. of years ago, and I never got in. I'd still like yeah. to do that race. No, Western I really States. want to. And, and the other big one that's on my list and I have a ticket for is UTMB. You, when do you have a You have a ticket in the lottery? Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely do that one. I really want to. That, that is supposed to be the best race. You run through all these, uh, there's spectators and all these cities up in the mountains with cafes and beer yes. and, yes. Uh, and you'll use your poles for that race. Everyone yes. uses poles for that <laughs> yeah. race. Who else has questions for Emilio? This is really interesting stuff, Emilio. All right. So how do you, wait, how do you, oh, how do you go from 10 to 20 to 30? And how did you know Carter? We heard the first part of your question, Jeff. How did you go from 10 to 20 to 30? And, and like, from a muscle standpoint, where your body finally was like, oh, I, I, from a muscular standpoint, like, 
not even close to you, but like the first six miles are painful. My Achilles are so tight, whatever. And then once I get loose, I can keep going. So where do you and your body know that you, where you could go from 10, 20, 30 to 50 to 100? Can I yeah. interject on that before? I want to say one thing about, yeah. about, about Emilio as I've gotten to know him over the years. Emilio is really exceptional at healthy, holistic living across the board. And so he has also got the right body size. You can answer this the way you're going to answer it. I'm going to give my perspective. No, it's good. Uh, but, but he has the right body size. How tall are you and how much do you weigh usually? Yeah, I'm like 5'7 and weigh, I mean, you know, one in the 140s when I'm not doing that. And I can go down to if I, if, you know, the uh, metabolic efficiency training kicks in, I can go as low as 130. Because right. I can't, sometimes I can't stop it once it gets going. So he is got the right body type. He, we went into a lab or we, you went and got tests yeah. where he did a metabolic efficiency test and he had a professional level test. They basically said like his metabolic engine is at an elite like professional runner level, if I recall, which, so you have the right body size, you have a gift uh, genetically um, of which you train your gift the right way and you live a holistic life. So if I recall, when you're just building your base, you live pretty healthy, but when you are really in the throes of training, you're pretty much eating super well, you're sleeping, you're you're very good at your stress management, you are following the program. And I think you go pretty much plant-based for a period of time, like most of the elite runners do, right, before your races. That's right. I, I, look, I, I do um, eat very healthy and do all that stuff. The only thing I don't do by the book is I, I don't give up my wine. Um, I used to think, yeah, maybe a little bit out of the rate before the race, I should stop drinking, but I just, I, I, I stopped doing that and it didn't seem to have a huge impact. So yeah, I think if, uh, which is if, true of many people I coach, many people do not give up the wine. They just make sure they do it in moderation. Right. And right. don't get blitzed all the time. Right. But that's the one thing that I could probably do better. I, you know, I would, I think, but other than that, I do try to, to really, um, and, and everything Jim said is right. I mean, I, but it, but I, I was fascinated with the increment question. Jeff as well, like how do you know and at what point do you add on? And there's some really good rules of thumb out there about how much mileage you should add. You know, if you do a long run every weekend, you know, don't add more than, you know, 10% of what you've ever done before. Um, it's hard to do it gradually, but that's a, that's a key. I think it's really important to be, you know, do it gradually and um, do it by feel. I mean, you said sometimes you get going and then you feel like you can keep going, then, you know, keep going. I mean, you know, you know, I think the interesting thing to me is what is the biggest leap? You know, going, uh, running a road marathon to a 50K, people say, oh, that's not a big deal. But if it's a 50K trail run, that was a huge leap. That was a bigger leap than 50K to 50 miles for me. Um, and then 50 miles to 100 is a very big leap because you are having to manage, uh, you're definitely gonna have to manage some night running, even if you're super fast. Um, and depending on the trails that you run on, you know, you've gotta have enough, you know, Jim and I were ta you know, talked about this before, but you've gotta have enough kind of ankle flexibility um, that you're not gonna get hurt when you're running because the only way to run those races in my mind is you can't be constantly looking at the ground. Which so I have, have to, to do, have right? Cause I, I, I my, right. an ability just to roll with whatever happens, if it's dark or whatever's going on. And um, so I think 50 to 100 is a big one. And I think road marathon to, uh, you know, to 50K trail 
is a really big change because you can know how fast you're going to run a road marathon. And it was a shock to me, you know, you know, you think, Oh, 15 minute miles, even if it's really steep, I can do a 15 minute mile. Let's walk it. You know, depends on the terrain. I mean, you know, depends on the terrain. It depends how beat up you are. Uh, You can really, it can be really challenging to hit those 15 minute miles, depending on what's going on and stopping. You know, if you want to eat, you want to, uh, go to the bathroom, you want to do, you know, whatever you have to do when you're doing a hundred miles, it takes up time and you try to make up that time. Totally. But to, Thank you. And between 10 and 20 miles, I would say, um, you know, decide if it's going to be once a week that you do a long run or once every other week. And every time you do that long run add a tiny bit, you know, do 10 miles one weekend, do 11 the next, do 12 the next, do 13 the next, you know, and, and that's, to me, the, the best way to do it. Yeah, and if you want to be an ultra marathoner, um, Jeff, have you ever done the 60K that we were talking about before in the park? No, this year was supposed to go, I wanted to do 50 miles, but I went to 50K, and then because of the pandemic, I didn't. So I've done the, the New York City Marathon, you know, and I want to get to, 30 miles to 40 miles and then get to that 50 mile race. So I want to get there. Um, I'm not, I'm over, you know, I'm close to six, two, I'm 200 pounds. You know, I wasn't built for running. So, I'm, you know, unfortunately, so, you know, I want to get there. I just, I'll get there slower. I just want to understand the process that you go through. Yeah. And Jeff and I remember we talked about comrades, right. And comrades is a 56 mile race, but there are some pretty tight cutoffs in comrades. Right. So, Jeff, if you wanted to do comrades, you know, you would have to do the metabolic efficiency training for minimum six months. And it, it becomes this like investment in your training and your goal. And it's interesting. A lot of people come to me and they want me to coach them to train for a marathon or train for an ultra marathon. And, you know, if, if one wants to just run a marathon, that's one thing. If one wants to qualify for Boston, that's a different level of training. If one wants to go from a marathon, like Emilio said, to a 50K trail race, that is a huge jump, right? And then to go to a 50-mile trail race is a huge jump, right? And so it, each jump you have, whether to be faster or to be farther or longer on a different terrain, requires a different level of commitment, right? And I have these people all the time that say they want to do it, but when they have to do the commitment, they say, I don't want to do that level of commitment, which is just fine. You know, not everyone wants to do that. That's, I mean, right now I'm not exercising more than an hour every day. You know what I mean? And that's good enough for me and I love it, you know? Yeah, I, I just think that I, I, it will be a road race, right, for, for now, and then we can do something later on. But I want to get to, I'd like to get the comrades. If we have to figure out how to do six months of metabolic, then I've got to figure out how to do that. And I guess I have to start that sooner or later. There's a race on the East Coast, which I don't remember if you've done it, Amelia, called the JFK 50. Did you, you've done that one a couple times, right? No, I have, no, I've never done it. But yeah, that's a fam- really famous 50, uh, 50 miler. That's a great, it's supposed to be a great race. It's a lot of people, though. That's the only thing for, a, you know, the, the nice thing about a lot of ultra runs is you don't have tons of people. I think the JFK is the biggest one. Well, Jeff's social. So Jeff would probably like that <laughs> one a lot. Uh, <laughs> And it's flat, it's along a river, and it's not too, the terrain is not too crazy, right? So I've had some friends. That's a great, yeah, that would be a really, that's a great race. But I think, Jeff, you should start with, like we did, the 60K in Central Park, which I've done three times, right? And that's a good one to at least feel the 
distance. And while ultra runners would say that is not hilly at all, it is hilly, you know, because you run nine middle loops. Justin, right. you got any uh, questions, comments? No, uh, inspiring stuff. I, I gotta. I'm, I'm basically a new runner now, so I have to like, start from scratch. Um, so you mean because you you're out of shape? Here. You're out of shape. That's what, yeah. what you mean by new runner. Yeah. All right, make yeah. a commitment. Let's get it going. Justin is a very gifted runner that I went to high school and college with, and you know, it's fast. Awesome. We've Justin and I wanted to be 50 staters, um, which I'd love to do if my body can do it. Um, we're still going to do that someday, Justin. We're going to run a marathon in every state. Looking forward to it. All I got to do is take the empty master help when I get there. <laughs> Not that I'm rushing them off to college, but it's got to make it a little bit easier. No doubt. Amelia, do you have kids? Do you have kids? Yeah, so I have a fourteen-year-old and an eleven-year-old. Holy cow! So well, now I feel even worse. No, oh, yeah. no. Look, that, this <laughs> is really when Jim was talking about training and hours to put in. Uh, to me, that's one of the biggest challenges is finding the time. Um, and and again, part of the reason why I just do the hundred milers now because, um, you know, at one point I was doing a six-hour getting up really early on Saturday and doing a six hour run and then doing a four hour run on Sunday. It just got, it just got ridiculous, right? Those are, those are called back to backs. And for ultra runners, ultra runners must do back to backs. Yeah. And they're yeah. usually 20 or 30 miles on crazy Hills. You know, those are critical. Otherwise you're going to get into a race and you're going to have what happened to me that one time, which is I just went there and winged it and I could barely walk. Right. I think, I think two things that I try to make sure I do for every hundred miler are one is do make sure I do at least one back-to-back uh, -back marathon where I do a marathon on Saturday, a marathon on Sunday. And then I always try to do five consecutive days of 20 miles. Um, sometimes broken up. I mean, there's one race I did where I couldn't, there's no way I could do that. Um, and so I did 10 miles in the morning before work and 10 miles at night after work five days in a row. Um, or extend that to seven days. But those are the two things I always try to hit, kind of just like a checklist to try to hit before every 100 miler. Yeah, I was, I was watching that one movie about the Western states, and the one guy was doing like 20 miles a day, and like that was just his run. Yeah, <laughs> right. Every day. That's Every day. He gets up about 20 miles. Oh, man. Those, those, those people, when Emilio has this also, are anatomically correct also, right? Where they don't have my issues where I'm seven or eight degrees towards a sprain every step I take, which makes it harder, right? You, you are lucky in that yeah. regard. And those people that are those runners in that movie, which is a spectacular movie, the Western States movie, um, they're all so gifted, right? But oh, very, right. It, yeah. And the other thing to add, Jim, just because you're talking about it like proper – I do think one of the biggest things you can do if you do want to do trail races in general, just even if you're walking or hiking or jogging or anything, run as much as you can on uneven ground. The rockier, the better. If you can get on a really nasty trail, because what happens is it really ultimately will strengthen your ankles, but at the same time, keep them flexible. I mean, I used to, if I used to do this and bend my ankle like that, I'd, I'd be, out you know would swell up and i'd be out for a few days and now sometimes i'll hear a crunch and go like that and then and say oh no what's going to happen and then be running later the same day 
Well, 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 some of that is it's Michael Jordan when he sprains his ankle during a basketball game. You'll see they won't sit him down and they will keep him moving because if you keep moving, right. you keep the blood flowing. So I have learned I can totally sprain my ankle on a run, and which right. would have sidelined me for three months in the past. Now I can be out, that happens, and I can keep going. And it's like I will – I, unless I break something, you know, right. I can will myself through it, you know, a lot of times. Now, sometimes it gets hugely swollen and there's nothing you can do about it. But right. more often than not, now I'll roll my ankle like that. Right. But get used to the uneven ground. I think that's a huge, uh, you know, a really huge help. Because what happens is your brain starts getting used to it and kind of figuring out and not relying on you knowing exactly what every step's going to be like. Hmm. Interesting. But start with baby steps and make a commitment to start doing things consistently and managing your time to get something in and just set a goal. You know, it doesn't have to be a hundred mile race. It could be like, I'm going to run three days this week and make it happen. Any yeah, other I mean, comments? Been, no. Go ahead, Justin. Didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm capable of keeping the consistency if I put my mind to it. It really helps me to have a goal. I have to have like some kind of ideally a race, you know, to 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 have, you know, in the, you know, to push me. I think that's what Amelia was saying too. I think, yeah, it was it was helpful to have a race. Absolutely, yeah, that that helps me a lot. What I I my answer to that is whatever will get you to do it you know i mean what ultimately it comes from within you you have to want to you have to want it not you right. one has to want it one doesn't want it one is not going to do it they're just not going to right and i agree with you that many people have to have something to train for or they're not going to do it and it's really tough in this covid world right now right well hopefully next year it'll be better and we'll be able to get out there and run in a race That'd be great. You still get out there and run. You mean in a race? Yeah, with people. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about, Justin? No. Jeff? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm sorry I was late, so I missed the beginning of it. Um, so wait, if I go to Netflix, what's the name of the – I'm looking for Barclays, and I'm looking for Western States. Uh, I think it's called the Barclays Marathon on Netflix. Milo, you might know better than me. Yeah, you know what? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to look it up and see if I can find the other one. I don't – Justin, where did you – I had to buy yeah, the Western gonna... States one. Where, Justin, where did you get the Western States one? I... Was it, is it on YouTube or is it mine? Did it's I give called, you mine? Yeah. I can't remember, but it's called um, Unbreakable. The Unbreakable. Western States 100. Did, do you have my copy? I can't remember. If I do, geez. Uh, I gave I it to somebody. It. I could have it. Really, you don't have my copy, do you? Somebody has my copy. can't remember. It's got to be online, though. But this is, that's the really – I love that. I've um, watched it 10 times, I, that movie. It, and, and I would say that how could ultra running be interesting? Uh, like – to the point where you'd be like, oh, this is really good. And it was. It was amazing. I think I think so. so you about, about, yeah. Uh, I think it is, yeah, spectacular. But I think some of it is for a sense of accomplishment. You know, I think sometimes people become marathon runners or runners or ultra marathoners 
to achieve something and to accomplish something. And it's really hard when you're doing, you know, these type of races that Emilio does, or I've done some of them, you're going to have multiple, multiple dark, deep places that you go, right? And it's about overcoming those things and how do you overcome them? And you don't want to be stupid. I mean, you don't want to die of hypothermia because you're shaking to death. Emilio was clearly prepared for that and started running down the hill to get his temperature up. But, you know. So, so I found that, so this, this documentary, the one that I just think is amazing, is called Where Dreams Go to Die. Gary Robbins and the Barkley Marathons. And <laughs> I think you can just go to, where, go to wheredreamsgotodie.com. And I think it'll, I don't know if it's a direct, you know, I think they did go direct to consumer. Um, but yeah, that, that, that movie's amazing. I thought it was really, really well done. Um, and then the other one, okay, well, uh, what's the other one? It's just, I own it. That's why I'm just trying to find it on my iTunes. Uh, Why it's not coming up? Sorry. If you type in Netflix and you just type in marathons, it, it pops up, I think. Oh yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's called the Barkley Marathons: The Race That Eats Its Young. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome, Grant. What? Are, let's talk about just. Uh, let's finish up with some other inspiring movies like related to running since we're talking about running my one of my favorites is without without limits i love it so jim i love that movie too but i just want to show you this is something they handed out um right before i don't know if you can see what this says but they gave us this the night before it's at barclays marathons in case of emergency press button um, wow how many people press a button a year during the race well you can guess what this does it's completely unattached to anything yeah does nothing. Oh. That's funny. Did that's, you hit the button during? The, did you hit the button during the race? That's Laz's sense of humor. Yeah, that's funny. I did not bring it with me in the race. You have to be very uh, calculating what you decide to bring with you. Totally. Amazing. What are, what are your favorite movies to run to, or I mean, not to run to to watch? Sports movies. That um, what was the one? Oh, it was Born to Run. Uh, it was the one with uh, Prefontaine. That's what it was called. No, um, maybe I'm getting it confused with the, the book. Uh, I think you're thinking of the book. The by Chris, Chris no, no, no. I'm, th I'm thinking of it's a book about how he, I thought it was a movie about humans and how they're born to run, um, you know, like they're, they're built to track down prey over very, very long distances. And maybe it was, I, I swear that there was a documentary about it. I'm looking for it, but I can't If you recall, it. let me know. I remember a couple of books that talk about that. Yeah, I like Prefontaine, I like Without Limits. The Western States one I've watched 10 or 20 times. Do you have that my copy? That movie is incredible. The Western States one. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. Totally. All right. You guys want to talk about anything else? 
All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Emilio, thanks so much for that. That was just amazing. Oh, sure. No, thank you. I'm sorry I talked so much, but thank no, you. No, it's great. Thank you What's the and next race? That's a really good question. My brother-in-law reached out to me and said that there was one in December he was thinking of doing. I'm, I'm, the only one I have in my calendar is not till next spring, uh, which is the Bryce Canyon 100. Hmm. Um, last year I did the Zion uh, Canyon 100, so it's the same uh, race organizer, same beautiful kind of Utah uh, terrain. So, and I love that race. So uh, that's the only one on my calendar, but I am looking at maybe doing one by the end of the year. I don't know. We'll see. Great. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll Thank be in you, touch. Sir. Thank you. Okay, Have everybody. a good one, guys. All right. Thanks, Take guys. See you. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, this hey. is Alex. Hey, Alex. You how you me? doing? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm calling in on my phone, so... Just wanted to make sure y'all can hear me on your end. Yeah. Long time to talk. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Yeah, I thought uh, maybe, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think it would be great. People come in and out of this call all the time. I never know who's going to join. Sometimes it's one or two of us. And I don't know if you've listened to any of the episodes that I podcast out, but I usually podcast them out after I, I, you know, people, if they want something cut out, they tell me, or I just cut out anything that I think should come out. So yeah. Um, are you, um, so your background is you and I got to know each other. Was that last year or is that two years ago? How long ago was that last year? Yeah. Yeah. Last year. Crazy. And we worked together for your first, um, well, I guess it was your second triathlon. If I recall, you did some different distances. Talk to me, remind me again, what distances we did. Yeah, so we did, uh, I had, I had done one sprint triathlon before, um, that was just short, you know, short distances, 1100 yards, swim, 12 mile bike, and then 5k run. <clears throat> and then, um, you and I, uh, we trained for the, uh, 70.3, the half Ironman here in Wilmington. That's right. So you're down in Wilmington, North Carolina, and, um, I absolutely remember all that, but I just wanted to hear it again. And um, oh, yeah. so when we started working together, uh, we agreed, we got you wearing a wearable device. So you started wearing a Garmin, if I recall, which I think you still wear. Um, yep. And we got you kind of on the program, right? So we got you eating a certain way. We got you sleeping a certain way. We got you training a certain way. And probably the training, if I recall, was the most different for you. And remind me, last year, how old were you? And you were a college athlete, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. I was a, I was a college soccer player. And so I'm 25 now, 24 last year when I did the, uh, when I did the half Ironman. Crazy, crazy. And where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to Walford College, which is a small liberal arts school in South Carolina. Gotcha. So you're, if I recall, you're a runner. I mean, if you're a soccer player, you're a runner. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really have no choice. And, and why did you decide? So, so, um, I, uh, worked with, um, your company to help, uh, some people train for events or just to help some people lose weight. And Alex and I spent, was it four months, three months, three months, I think. Right. Yeah. Three months. And, and Alex told me what his goals were. And we said, okay, let's try and follow the program and um, let's train doing kind of the metabolic efficiency, which is the easy, easy training. 
we we got you going on the program. Oh, cool! Um, wow! And, and he and he had phenomenal success. And Alex, awesome. I'd love to just hear you. So basically, I'm just going to give a few introductory comments, and I'd love to just hear you know your uh, what you did, how you trained, and you know, kind of what it did for you. And then we can do a kind of debrief of kind of what we're doing now. So uh, my goal for Alex was to try and help him, you know, do a half Ironman, uh, get to the heart start line healthy, and to maximize the science of his body. In other words, to be as fast as he could be. And I think when we started, you were in relatively good shape. Um, at least you deemed yourself to be in relatively good shape, if I recall, and had done one triathlon. Yeah. So, so, so talk about it. Let's start from like when you first started working with me and what your reaction was to that and how we talked about the program. And let's talk about the training a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So when Jim and I first started working together, as, as we talked about, I had you know, a college uh, athletic background. So I'd kind of always been around fitness and it had been a, a big part of my life and really important to me. Uh, but I'd never really taken the time to, you know, really deeply understand the the biology and physiology behind it, the importance of nutrition, the importance of having an actual plan. Um, and so when I first got in contact with Jim, I could just um, I was really intrigued after hearing a little bit of, of his background and, um, you know, all the things that I could improve upon. And I knew that I would have to shift more towards that kind of strategy as I got into these triathlons. Um, cause I knew, you know, I'm not going to be a, a soccer player forever and, and triathlons really intrigued me. So, um, really fortunate to meet Jim and, and, um, when we first started working together, I think the biggest adjustment for me was getting used to the, uh, the nutrition. Um, I'd always tried to eat clean, um, but never really had any kind of accountability. So I, I would slip up and, and never really, um, you know, got to a consistent meal plan. And so just having those, uh, you know, important guidelines and reminders to to keep in mind as I was training that really helped me you know cutting out coffee that was a, a bit of an adjustment cutting out what did you say cutting out coffee coffee you did cut it out okay yeah completely cut out coffee so that that was an adjustment especially um you know working up waking up and getting on the daily routine I usually drink you know, two to three or prior to working with Jim, I was drinking two to three cups a day. So that took a couple of weeks to get used to. Um, and then I think in terms of the the fitness training, um, my goal when I signed up for the half Ironman was just to finish the thing. Um, and then as I got more into it and started to understand, um, you know, some of the, the times, I think, um, I said, you know, if I, if I really knock this thing out of the park, I think I can beat six hours. Um, that's just you know, a goal of mine, something to, to shoot for. Um, and started going through all the metabolic heart rate training. And at first it was a little bit frustrating running that slow uh, because I'd just been used to going out there and running as hard as I could until I fell over and got tired. But it's um, the worst. Just have it. It's yeah. the worst. I hate it. <laughs> I, I'm, it's the worst I, I had, until I had, I, I, I had all. Yeah, go ahead. I had all all these people around me just passing me, and I I knew every single one of them 
as they passed me, I was like, damn, I'm faster than that guy. I, I shouldn't be letting him pass me. But I, it, it really is a mental test. And over time, I could, I could feel myself improve. And, and the data really confirmed that I was improving over time. And I started to see those improvements about a month into the program. Um, and then by the end of the program and, and by the time I completed the race in October, um, my original goal, as I said, was six hours. And I did it in about five hours and 27 minutes. And, uh, and the run portion of the race, I actually got some stomach cramps and, and I'm still kicking myself because I feel like I could have done a lot better. But I remember looking at my times and just being blown away by how, how much I had improved. I re didn't realize how fast I was actually getting by training that slowly. And then by the time race day came, you know, I wasn't running 10 minute miles anymore. I was running eight minute splits and keeping the same heart rate. Um, so that's kind of a long winded um, introduction of my story, but it, uh, it was, it was quite a, quite a journey. Um, this three months with Jim, you know, it was something that um, changed my outlook on, on fitness. And I think it also changed the way that I just approached my daily routine and, and all aspects of life. It's, it's not just the training for the triathlon, but it's, you know, keeping overall uh, a good, a good health and uh, really shifted my mindset and, and uh, you know, a proper nutrition and a more well-balanced lifestyle. Yeah. And I remember when you were training, I think you were pretty true to keeping your heart rate low. And, you know, you live in a place where the dew point, which is the combination of heat and humidity, which is the one measurement I usually take to, to look at heart rate. The dew point was consistently yeah. over 70 degrees every single day. Worse than Texas, Emilio. Um, it is great. They're right on the ocean there. And so what happens is when you're training in the summer and you're running 11 or 12 minute miles and you're getting passed by everybody that you know you're faster than we've all been there. Um, yeah. When it gets, when it got cool, I remember you got down in the eights and maybe you even got down in the sevens pace wise because you were doing your five or six hours a week, easy in the zone. And every now and again, as we train there, we would have you do something really, really hard. So nothing in the middle, you'd either do something really, really easy for a while and then something really hard, but, but nothing in the middle. But I do now recall that one of the biggest cha changes you made, and I remember you reported this after, was your nutrition. And I think that you went to kind of eating a lot of highly processed things like most 20-some-year-olds do to actually doing much better and being more consistent with your food. And I think that you went into, when we started training, not, not, not needing to lose any weight whatsoever, but didn't, you did lose a bunch of weight and you got much leaner, if I recall, correct? Yeah, that's right. I, I going into it, I was about 175 and I felt like I, I didn't need to lose any weight. I felt pretty good with, with where I was. And, and, you know, we, we got all those tests done. We, we got blood work, which was really helpful and something that I had never done before. And by the end of it, and by the time race day came, I think I was weighing in around 162 or 164 and felt actually stronger. I was more lean, um, but I felt more agile and and actually stronger so I, i've kind of stayed around that 162 to 168 range um but in my playing days and and playing soccer i was like 175 180 so <laughs> i wish i had uh, started this program sooner yeah and um I also recall that you had a tune-up race and i can't was it an olympic or a sprint where you had an amazing performance 
Yeah, it was that the the sprint race, the uh, it, the local sprint triathlon race here. It's like five minutes from my house. It's the Wright Tool Beach uh, sprint triathlon, and uh, yeah, I was I was pretty pumped about that. And that was your best race. And if I recall, you placed. Did you? Did you? Did you? Were you like one of the top three in your age group? I can't remember. Yeah, I think I was top three in the age group, and maybe like twenty seventh or twenty eighth overall out of about five hundred. And, and and the thing that I took away from that was um, your run. Do you remember your pace in that run? Uh, it was just under seven minutes. Under seven minutes per mile. That's amazing. Yeah. That's what metabolic efficiency training can get you if you do it and you sleep and you eat well, et cetera, et cetera. I remember you did get the cramps during during Ironman or half Ironman race. That does happen. Nutrition is a big part. It's the fourth yeah. discipline when you do triathlon. Um, but totally get that. So now, so then we finished and I went away. So what did you do after that? And how much of what we did, did you maintain and how much did you not maintain? Yeah, I, I, I maintained a, a good bit of it. I mean, I've, I've been thoughtful about my diet. I probably haven't been, um, as consistent about eating as healthy as I, I probably should be. I've, Went back to drink coffee. I, I I drink about one cup of coffee per day. And by the um, way, I I, I have really evolved beyond the. I think that what we did is we talked about not having caffeine. I don't think it was coffee related, but maybe it was. But like I think, like you could have the same results and still drink coffee, right? I can't remember exactly yeah. why we decided that for you, but most of the people I coach now, they they can have coffee. And the only thing is that you know if you do have it before you run, your heart rate's going to be elevated for sure. Right. And so it makes yeah. metabolic efficiency training harder. So if I drink coffee, I never do it before I run. I usually won't do it at any part of the day until I do my run, because I know that my heart rate could be elevated by three or five beats. Right. So if you want to be the most pure and the, train them the best way, that's probably why we cut the caffeine out. But people listening, I, I don't have an issue with caffeine. I would just be careful with it if you're doing that type of training before you run. Emilio, anything yeah. to add to that? I do the same. I, I drink, I don't drink a lot of coffee. I do maybe one max two cups a day, but always after my run. Yeah. yeah. Never Interesting. Yeah. You, and I, you and I have never talked about that. That's funny. And it's funny that we do the same thing there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but in terms of, uh, in terms of training, I still train pretty much the same way. I mean, I go out there and I do, uh, you know, I do, I do slow pace runs, I, I haven't been as um, consistent and diligent about my training because all the half Ironman have been getting canceled. The one here in uh, Wilmington got canceled. Luckily, the sprint triathlon is, is still on, and that one's in uh, less than two weeks. Um, and then I got a, a new job at work, too, that's just required a ton of time. So, candidly, I'd, I haven't been as disciplined as I was last year, but um, my, the same, my mindset behind training and fitness hasn't changed because I think those three or four months that I went through last year with your program has permanently shifted my, my mindset in terms of, um, health and fitness on a daily basis. Are you still doing heart rate recovery or you stopped doing heart rate recovery? I haven't, no, I haven't, I haven't been doing the heart rate recovery. That's, that's one thing that I haven't been doing. That's one way to be able to judge, you know. 
where you're at yeah. if you're training too hard or too too easy you may want to incorporate that back um it's up to you but like if my heart rate doesn't go down fast enough then i know that i my workout was too hard right um yeah that is a that's a good uh good gauge for sure this concludes this week's podcast i hope you enjoyed the episode i know i did i am always inspired by people that do things have accomplishments Go outside of their comfort zone, comfort zone and achieve things, uh, particularly those that are well-rounded in that they are not one-dimensional. And certainly, Emilio and Alex have achieved things despite the fact that they have families or other things that are very important in their lives also. 